Hello, and welcome to Fresh Fusion, a weekly show where we discuss the business, the art, the ethics of content creation on the open web. My name is Jared White, and this is episode 66. Welcome to the new normal. Same as the old normal? I hope not. (laughs) That's what this episode is about today. Uh, I will try to keep it short. Uh, This has been a very stressful last week or two for me. Uh, Just, I've just had a lot going on, a lot on my plate. I almost didn't even sit down to record this episode this week. Uh, But I just couldn't stay away, couldn't stay away from you all. So here I am. And today's topic uh, was uh, precipitated by an article I was reading about a town in California that I used to spend some time in, Berkeley, California. And here's the interesting thing about Berkeley. You hear about Berkeley, California, and it makes you think of, you know, lots of things that happened, say, back in the 60s, lots of sort of, you know, liberal hippie kind of things that were going on. And people think of of Berkeley as as a liberal California Bay Area sort of place. But it turns out, like so many places in America, things I knew nothing about until much more recently, Berkeley has had racist policies at the very heart of its city for a long, long time. And they're just finally now doing something about it. What I'm talking about, and and you can read about this in the link I'll put in the show notes, is they're finally changing some of their zoning laws so that uh, multi-family dwelling units can be built in areas that historically have been zoned only for single-family homes. Now, single-family homes have been a staple of modern American suburbia for a long time now. But as it turns out, Berkeley, California was actually the first city in the country, apparently, to create new zoning laws specifically to create entire neighborhoods of only single-family homes. And the reason for this was... (laughs) This should not come as a shock. The reason for this was because they wanted to create affluent neighborhoods filled with white people and get rid of all the riffraff. In other words, all the non-white people. (laughs) Yes, my friends, single-family home zoning laws, as it turns out, are just another example of systemic racism. Now, again, I knew nothing about this until fairly recently. I was ignorant of all these things. All I knew is that uh, there's, you know, long been this tussle of, you know, zoning... neighborhoods is only for single family homes versus building more denser housing and it's usually framed in this sort of typical conservative liberal sort of thing of like you know oh the liberals just want to build a bunch of stuff all packed together because it you know helps them fill some kind of quota around you know the demographics of this area and so they can pat themselves on the back and meanwhile it just creates worse neighborhoods and 
you know that's that's a conservative position right like it's it's my american right to live in a neighborhood where there's nice homes all spread out with big yards and stuff that's that's the american dream with your white picket fence and your lawnmower and your two kids and a dog and a cat and all that stuff um of course, then the flip side of that argument is, you know, oh, you evil conservatives trying to maintain your racist white neighborhoods. Yeah, we need to build denser housing that's affordable housing and create more uh, you know, diverse demographics and so forth. Well, without sounding like I'm coming too hard down on, on any one side, that's kind of true. It's actually kind of true. Like, you know, as much as someone... And I used to think this way. I no longer do. But as much as someone might like this idea of, you know, a nice upscale neighborhood with big lawns in the front and nice looking homes all spread apart with enough area to, you know, spread out with your with your uh, lawn chairs and your backdoor barbecues and your swimming pools and whatever else things you put on your property. Um, you know, as, as much as it seems like that's a nice place to live, that's not a place a lot of people can live in. It's actually not a place a lot of people want to live in, as it turns out. And so, you know, you see places like Berkeley now, uh, and Portland's been through this already. Uh, where I live now in Portland, you know, there's already been this this battle against, you know, NIMBY, not in my backyard, uh, you know, policies that you know, prevented building denser housing, you know, out in neighborhoods that uh, historically had been only single family homes. Um, you know, th- there's already been that debate and the denser housing debate has already won and that's already happening now in Portland. And, you know, some people are grumpy about it. But the reality is it's it's actually in the long run creating better neighborhoods because the alternative is what I saw growing up in Santa Rosa in Santa Rosa, California. I grew up literally thinking, and I I know this is going to sound bad. (laughs) This is going to sound really bad, but I literally grew up thinking that living in an apartment meant you were, you know, working a crappy job and came from a sketchy background and maybe you're still doing sketchy things like dealing drugs or whatever, you know, apartments aren't great, right? And if you can buy a condo, that's a little bit better. But if you can buy your own house, that's the pinnacle. Like if you can afford to purchase your own home in a nice neighborhood, that means you're crushing it. You're, you're living at the top of your game. That's, that's the place to be in a nice neighborhood in a single family home and, you know, the more you don't have to deal with those apartment people, the better. Uh, that that was what I grew up thinking. That was just the thinking. You know, I don't know if it was anything my parents specifically said. You know, it's not like they came up to me one day and said, son, you must realize that people that live in apartments are on a lesser plane than you are. <laughs> that never happened. Um, but it was just sort of assumed. And, you know, our our ultimate goal in life, apparently, was to purchase a home, a single family home in a nice neighborhood. Like that, that's what you do. And, you know, you, you, you do whatever you can to avoid having to downgrade to a, a little apartment unit somewhere in an apartment complex. 
So, you know, I had that whole concept growing up, had no idea just how racist and how classist a lot of this thinking was. Um, and I ended up, you know, owning my own home and living in my own home in, a, in suburbia. And I talked a little bit about that in my last episode, how miserable I ended up. Uh, so I'm not going to go on to all that now. Um, but suffice it to say, um, eventually moving up here to Oregon and the Portland area, a curious thing happened. Um, initially, we moved to a town called Hillsboro, which is um, about 30 minutes drive west of Portland. And uh, we, you know, were in a position where, you know, all, all, all we could do was to just get an apartment unit somewhere. And we discovered that in Hillsboro, there are really nice apartments in really nice neighborhoods. And the kind of people that live in these apartments, it was pretty diverse. In fact, um, you know, because of the large presence of, of uh, companies like Intel in the area, there's several large Intel factories. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who had um, immigrated from, from India or you know, other places in Asia. Uh, so there's a, a, actually a large immigrant population Uh, And they're living in these apartments and, you know, presumably working at Intel or or Nike or some some other company like that. Um, So it was just such an interesting shift in thinking like, oh, we're in this nice neighborhood. We live in these nice apartments. There's people here from all over the world. My children get to interact with folks who, you know, have different backgrounds and different cultures and, you know, speak a little bit differently than they're used to. And and it was so cool. It was so cool to to have this experience of diversity after living in single family home white suburbia, <laughs> where the only people you ever see or talk to basically are the people that look and sound just like you. Um, and just you know, being in an area where apartments and homes weren't just code for if you're upper class or lower class, uh, it was really surprising. And then, then I come to Portland itself, you know, living near downtown. And, you know, here, like, you know, I'm living in an apartment, but I feel like I'm living in a hotel, <laughs> a nice fancy hotel near downtown. Uh, and that's great. And I love it. Um, so, you know, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is, you know, I grew up just woefully ignorant of how problematic policies seemingly as simple as as how you zone for houses i grew up woefully ignorant of you know the 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 history of these things the backstory of these things how how neighborhoods were created specifically to encourage segregation how zoning laws were specifically created to to weed out the undesirables. This is part of the fabric of this country. And I'm not saying this as a progressive. I'm not saying this to, to, you know, support a particular policy or to bash a particular policy. I'm simply explaining to you the historical facts of systemic racism in our country, in America. And, you know, if you're listening to this from another country, you know, maybe it's different there. Hopefully it's different there. But I'm just telling you what it's like here, particularly in, you know, Western U.S., where, you know, so many policies were created, you know, around the turn of the 20th century. And, 
you know, I mean, just look at Oregon in general, like the state of Oregon, you know, again, like nowadays people think of Oregon as a place of progressive uh, progressivism, but, uh, you know, the roots of Oregon are deeply racist. <laughs> I mean, it used to be embedded into the fabric of the Oregon state laws to discriminate heavily against African Americans, um, you know, Blacks need not apply in Oregon was was the name of the game for a long time. Um, and, you know, just it, it's just uh, frustrating to me that, um, you know, so much of this wasn't something I was aware of or knew about for much of my life. Um, you know, it, it I don't know, maybe chalk it up to the fact that I was homeschooled and, you know, even though I appreciate what my parents did for me, you know, they had their biases and the materials we read, a lot of which came, you know, from Christian homeschooling publication sources, and they had their biases. And so, you know, this stuff was just never communicated to me. So, so here I am in the year 2021, as this pandemic is, you know, raging on, but hopefully on its last legs. And we're looking at, you know, hope in the form of vaccines and herd immunity and all that. And people are talking about, you know, how do we get back to normal or, you know, talking about the new normal, whatever that is. And on one level, yeah, I just want to go back to normal. I just want to go back to my, my normal happy life of working on my laptop in a nice cafe in a cool city and getting fun stuff done and meeting with creative entrepreneur types and, you know, doing all this stuff. But there's a part of me now that's like, you know, given everything that happened last year to showcase just how screwed up politics have become in America, you know, given everything we've seen about the breakdown of, of civil society and, and, you know, very nearly losing democracy, I can't ever go back to that normal. I can't ever go back to the normal of just having blinders on and not seeing what I've seen. I can't unsee systemic racism. I can't unsee, you know, classist politics. I can't unsee dysfunctional government. I can't unsee, you know, policies that hurt minorities and immigrants and, you know, people of different, uh, you know, gender, gender identities or sexual orientations than myself. Um, you know, all, all of the ways that, you know, the, the seedy underbelly of, of the American system uh, was revealed last year. I can't unsee all those things. I just can't. So, yes, of course, I want the pandemic to be over. I want to travel more. I want to meet cool, creative people. I want to work on my laptop and drink a latte. But I'm also thinking through, you know, what are, what are some things that I can do practically to, you know, speak, speak out against injustice, to, you know, contribute meaningfully in some way, whether that's money, whether that's time, you know, in the form of volunteerism, you know, what can I do to make a little bit of a dent in all of these problems, where before I was just, you know, living in a state of blissful ignorance? What can I do to, you know, enact some sort of meaningful change 
you know, even if that's just for one person or two people or three people, you know, obviously, you know, I don't have the knowledge or the ability to, um, you know, enact meaningful change, you know, even at a city level, yet alone a state or national level. I'm not a politician. But, you know, beyond just mere, you know, voting whenever there's an opportunity to vote for something, beyond just, you know, the very basics of participating in our democracy, what can I do to meaningfully make a difference for the better? So that's the question I have here as I, as I look at, you know, the rest of this year and coming out of this pandemic and what this new normal might be. Uh, I just, you know, I, I, I don't want to squander this opportunity. You know, as awful as the pandemic has been, as awful as, as this, you know, this lockdown and everything that's happened, you know, as awful as that all is, I also want it to be an opportunity to learn, to grow, to, to engage, uh, you know, intelligently with some of these issues that have come up, um, you know, because it would just, it would be a real shame if everything truly went back to normal and I was just, you know, living in this state of, of being blind to the plight of those around me who are less fortunate than myself. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that sounds like such a soapbox. And I, you know, somebody could easily accuse this of just being nothing but virtue signaling. So, you know, I realized the slight absurdity of this whole uh, episode, but I just want you to know, I'm just being completely honest here. I just want you to know, this is where my headspace is at. This is where my thinking is. And, you know, this, this is what I do when I, <laughs> when I'm in my apartment with nothing else to do than to think, apparently, uh, this is what I'm thinking about. All right. I'm, I'm curious what your perspective is. You know, what, what do you think um, this, this uh, you know, crazy last year has been uh, in terms of, you know, maybe opening up your eyes to some things you didn't realize or know about before? What are ways where you feel like you might be able to make a difference in some positive way? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, you know, please email me, jared at jaredwhite.com or find me on Twitter, Jared C. White. I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in to Fresh Fusion. And until next week, bye-bye. Bye-bye.